uh, part four of a series on the life of David. More is talked about David in the Old Testament than any other character. He has the most fascinating life. And, and we've looked at a few things over the last few weeks. And, and really, we look at David and Goliath and, and the fact that David kind of had a fighter in him. He was courageous. He was bold. And then, and then last week, we kind of change it up and we find like the more sensitive side of David. Like David was like the best friend. And he has like this friendship with Jonathan that really gives us a blueprint to how we're to treat our friends. And, and, and the fascinating thing is when we look at the Bible, this is what's so big to me about that message, is that, is that God looks at your friendships. Like God is like just kind of watching. Like one of the things that he can just kind of see as an indicator of where you're going in life or how much he can trust you in life is how you treat your friends. Because how you treat people in relationships will eventually be this, the reflection, the indicator of how you treat him in relationships. And so becoming an incredible friend is so, so important. And so today, we'll kind of switch gears and go into a totally kind of different direction. And it's the greatest story, I think, of David's life. And the reason I say that is because I was a youth pastor for years. And, and if you're a junior hire today, you're going to love this because it's a guy that goes to the bathroom, right? And the whole story is about a guy going to the bathroom. And so anyway, it's it's just a great story. It's so cool. But today we will talk about how David, not only did he have the heart of a fighter and a warrior, he had the heart of a great friend. Today I want to show you that David just had the heart of a servant. And I don't mean servant just in the sense of like, you know, go volunteer and go give your time and go give of that. I, I want to talk about being a servant on a much, much deeper level because all that's, that's very true. Like if you find David at the beginning of his life, He's just taking care of sheep, right? When he shows up for the battle of David and Goliath, he's delivering cheese and bread, you know? After that, he begins to serve the king as the armor. So he's got the qualities of, of a servant, and that's true. But I'm talking about something a little bit deeper than that. I'm talking about the idea that when he looked at God, that he looked at God as the king, and he as the humble servant in God's kingdom. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about today. That, that in your heart, there's something that you that looks at God and says, hey, it's not about me. It's about you. It's not my way. It's your way. Or as Jesus put it, it's not my will be done, but your will be done. Like, that's just my heart and my attitude that God, when I look at you, I don't want my life to be all about me. Because here's the sad news. Your life is too short to matter if life is just about you. Like, you don't have enough time to make anything significant or great in life if your life is only about you because you don't get to live long enough, right? But when you actually make your life about something eternal, when you make your life about what God wants, then your life has significance and has a ripple effect into eternity. Like, that's what matters most. And David just had this. He had the heart that just said, like Paul put it like this. He said, at the end of my life, when I get to heaven, here's what I really want to hear. Well done, you good and faithful servant. And that was just kind of the mentality. Now, that, doesn't that sound great? Like, that's what we all kind of want. You know what I mean? We want that etched on our tombstone. We want to hear those words when, you know, if, if there's a joke and there's St. Peter's really there. And, you know, <laughs> at, the, at the other side of that gate, we want to hear God say those words. Well done, you good and faithful servant servant. And David just kind of had this mentality. And so again, when I talk about serving the, serving God and becoming a servant, what I want to show you is that I think it primarily deals with not just what you're doing, but who you're becoming. That means that it has more to do with not, not like, did I keep every single rule? It has to do with what's deeper underneath the layers. It has to do with your character and your integrity. Are you following me so far? Because as a Christ follower, we're trying to say, God, it's not my will, it's yours be done. So I want to 
following your ways. I want to do your will. I want to have your character. That is where my life is headed. And here's what I know about you. Because this is what's true about me. Every day, you have a temptation. Every day, you have an opportunity to compromise your integrity, don't you? You have, a, you have an opportunity to compromise your character, to, to, to do things your way and not God's way. It's, it's always around you. And here's, here's the other thing. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because I think you're probably great people. Most of us, when we think about temptation, for most of us, our temptation is not to do something evil, right? For most of us. Like, you're not tempted to go build a bomb or knock off a liquor store or run over a little old lady in the street. You know what I mean? We're not out doing, we're not out killing cats and just, we're not out being cruel, evil people. So here's, here's where I need you to dig down because I don't want you to try to compare yourself to the most evil of the world. What I want to get you to see is that where you are tempted to compromise your character is, is a little bit different. Your temptations usually come from this, and I'll give you a few of them. Your temptations come from usually just the desire for more. Man, I got quiet up in this Methodist church here, y'all. The desire for more. Now, is more always bad? No, of course not, but there's a desire for more. Many of us have that. We have a desire for something more than we currently have. Here's another one. We have a desire for happiness, right? Now, is happiness bad? No, of course not. But when our desire for happiness is what leads the way, we are headed down a path to temptation. Because happiness is not always necessarily the goal of life. Many times it's just the byproduct of living God's ways. But when, when I'm telling you, when it's just the pursuit of happiness above the pursuit of character, we end up falling into temptation. Here's another one. It's the desire for success. Like most of you want progress, you want success, you want an upward trajectory, you want to do well financially, you want to climb the ladder of your corporate success, and you, you, and is success a bad thing? No, but I'm telling you this, is where do the temptations you have, where do they really come from? They usually come from a good thing that you end up making a God thing, and then it throws your world into a downward spiral. Here's another one, sometimes you can even have a temptation because of the desire for what God is even promised you. Now I'm messing with your head. You're like, well, wait a minute. If God promised it, it's got to be good. It is good. And here's what's so important. Here's what you can see in David today. Sometimes you can have a desire for what God has promised and a pursuit for what God has promised. But if you go after what God has promised in a way that is ungodly, you are going to get messed up. Are you with me so far today? Because what I'm going to show you is this, is that David has this incredible story where this is his life. He has the most incredible temptation laid before him because it all lines up with something that would make him happy. It would make him successful. And it's even something that God had promised him. This is a great story. You ready? Turn your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 24 with me if you got your Bibles. If not, read along on the screens. Incredible story. So if you've been following with us, you know that David starts out as a shepherd boy. The prophet Samuel shows up, starts rubbing oil all over his face and his head, and he says, one day you will be the king. And how many know for a teenage boy, man, how awesome was that day, right? Somebody shows up and says, you're going to be the future king, and you're just this chump, you're, you're eighth in line in your own family, and they don't even like you. And all of a sudden, the prophet, the, not just a prophet, the prophet of Israel shows up and says, you're going to be the king? Like, what does that do for your brain and your, your psyche and your self-conscious or your self-esteem? Like, And this is the way he lived. He lived with this promise in the back of his mind. 
Little shepherd boy, how am I going to get there? And he moves forward in life, and then he takes out Goliath, right? And in, in taking out Goliath, one of the benefits was is that you got to marry the king's daughter. So you're like, this is it. I'm up in there. You know, so I'm in the kingdom. I'm in the palace. I'm the son-in-law of the king. I can see how God is going to work this all out. And it doesn't work out that way, right? What he thought God has promised, and he even thought he saw the avenue in which God was going to deliver on that promise, and it didn't work out. And so he, and this is where in week three, he finds a friend. So not only is he getting married to the king's daughter, he's best friend with the king's son. I mean, things are just lining up. But the problem is this, is that Saul went paranoid. He went neurotic. He got so freaked out, and so he didn't care about any of that stuff. He was determined, I'm going to kill David. And so David goes on the run. Now the Philistines hate him because he killed Goliath, right? And now Israel, not Israel, but the king of Israel has sent the whole army to go and kill and capture him. And so what do you do when you're in that situation? You hide. That's right. You hide. You better find a bunker or a shelter. You better find one of them preppers and get buried deep. Or, you know, you better do something because the king wants to kill you. The Philistines want to kill you. You don't got friends anywhere except for his closest little companions. And so he is hiding in a cave because that's what you ought to do in that situation. So here's where we find the story. Listen to this. First Samuel 24, verse one. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able, 3,000 dudes for one guy. That's pretty legit, isn't it? 3,000 dudes, one guy. So took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Man, that's just cool sounding, ain't it? Like, where do you live? I live at the crags of the wild goats. That's where Jack Bauer lives. Anyway. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. So Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave. Wait a minute, what? Imagine this, 3,000 dudes, the king, and all of a sudden they're like, we gotta, I gotta, we got to stop. Tell the men to take a break, we got to stop. And so David, and he's got to go number two. And... This is the Bible, okay? If you want me to teach the Bible, this is how you got to have it, all right? And so he's got to go number two. So, you know, everybody's like, let's take a break. And he just sneaks off up into the cave. And the men, are, they all know what he's doing. You know, we know what's going down. And, and so he disappears into the cave. And this is the most insane part of the story. The, out of all the caves, out of all the places, he happens to walk into the one cave where David and his boys are hanging out. And you're just thinking, oh my goodness, it's looking so good. Then, verse 4, the men said to David, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord, this is the day the Lord, they were singing Christian songs before Jesus even came. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you, uh, for you to deal with as you wish. Are you seeing how great this story is? Like nothing could be more divinely appointed. God has moved heaven and earth to bring the king to a bowel movement in a cave with, a, with David and his men. And it is, it's, it is like as if God has delivered destiny on a silver platter. And you gotta be thinking like, this is perfect, right? Cause imagine the story. You're, you're, let's say you're one of Saul's men. And then all of a sudden, you know, the king, you see the king disappear into the cave. And all of a sudden, 
A few minutes later, David steps out. And you got to think, whoa. Okay. Down. Okay, you're the new king. I'll just give it to you. No bloodshed, no battle, no war, no fighting. It's clear. Everybody knows, look, God has just appointed this. What if it was even, you know, Bravehearted? You know, what if, what if the king enters the cave and all of a sudden a few minutes later David comes out with the king's head in his hand? It's on, boys, you know. I mean, the story could not get more perfect. And here's what I want you to see is that what you find is, is that, let me ask you a couple questions here. Was David promised that he would be the king one day? Yeah. Was was Saul a bad king? Yeah. Would David have made a better king? Would being king make David happier than living in caves? Okay, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be a better life? That would be more successful. That would be more significant. And remember, this is what God has promised. And here's the big point I want you to see here is that an open door is not necessarily an invitation from God. But we love doing this. Like we will go and we will see life and we will believe like, we, we, like we'll meet a guy. Ladies, you single ladies, you'll meet a guy and, and you'll be like, but his name is Jake. And this morning when I was eating alphabet cereal, the letters J-A-K-E formed in my bowl. Clearly, the Lord has sent Jake into my life. But Jake doesn't love Jesus. You know, so it's like, wait a minute. What seems to be a divine appointment is not necessarily always the divine appointment. As a matter of fact, sometimes it could just be a test. And so you need to realize that an open door is not necessarily an invitation from God because while, because, because I know you're kicked back. You're like, but you don't understand. I'm single and I'm tired of being single and God wants me to be with someone and God wants me to be married. And I, I just know that that's true. And I, and he has a job, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you don't understand. He has a job. Yeah, but he doesn't love Jesus, and so he doesn't even believe in God. And, you know, so, well, you know, so okay, so just, just slow down. And so, like, sometimes at work you're like, Todd, if you, if you just knew the circumstances, if I would just do this and do this, because I deserve, I deserve this promotion way more than she does, or way more than he. I deserve this so much more. And many times that's the temptation, isn't it? Is that the temptation comes down to, like, the way we feed it in our mind is I deserve it, it's a good thing. I deserve it. It's a good thing. And so, yeah, yeah, you could, but you'd have to be shady and dishonest and unethical to get there. So, yeah, you might want a good thing, but you're going about it in an ungodly way and you're about to spiral into a big mess. Are you you hearing what I'm saying here? And there's all these like like sometimes it's like, but I really, really want this stuff. I really, really want this new car. You ever had car fever before? I really. That's my wife. You better calm that down. I really, really want it. I really, really deserve it. I really, it's a good thing. God wants to bless me. Yeah, but you're already in debt and you haven't been tithing in 12 months. So like, is this the right way that you want to go about getting a good thing? Are you, are you hearing me out there? An opened, but it's on sale. You know, that, that's, but you don't understand. I'd get 60% off. Yeah, but you're still paying 40% and you don't got that. Right? So just slow your roll, beefcake. So, my point is, is that what you think is the divine moment that God has orchestrated and moved heaven and earth to create is not always an invitation for you to actually 
Step into that. Be careful because what David has here is destiny on a silver platter. But look and watch what he actually does. He, he gives us an incredible blueprint for what we ought to do. So then David crept up unnoticed. How do you do that, you know? Because here's, here's what happens. Saul has to disrobe because he's got all these kingly, you know, garments. And so he disrobes and then he goes deeper into like one part of the cave to go do, you know, his business. And so anyway... David creeps up unnoticed and cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to the men, now listen to these words. I want you to key in on the words that he uses because out of all these words, we're going to come back to three huge ideas that I want you to do when it comes to weighing out your opportunities. Listen to little words he says. He says, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. Oh, wait a minute. He's actually the wicked king that's trying to kill you. Are you sure you want to use that title, my, my master? Um, so, so then he goes on and says this. Um, not only is he my master, he's the Lord's anointed. And so I'm not going to lay my hand on him because, and he repeats it, because he's the Lord's anointed. Meaning not only is he the king, but God put him there. You got to remember the beginning of this beginning of the story, which is that God chose Saul to begin with. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Because I'll tell you what was going on. The boys, were, the boys were like, you're tripping, dude. And we're tired of being in a cave. So here's what's going to happen. You just go over there to that side of the cave and I'll go kill the king. And that way you, you, know, well, you won't even be on your hands. Okay, I'll, I'll go take care of it. I'll handle your light work. So, so anyway, that, so he has to rebuke his own men and stop his own men. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, now you've got to imagine what Saul would have done here. Because in my mind, Saul's eyes would have gotten so huge, right? Can you imagine, you know, you just did all your day, you walk out. And all of a sudden, David's like, my Lord and king, you know, and then Saul's like, I was just in the king. With the giant killer, you know, that, that kind of a thing. And so anyway, I, I imagine Saul has to be a little freaked out. So, my lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bows down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he says to Saul, why do you listen when men say stuff about me like David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen, it's proof with your own eyes how the Lord he did deliver you into my hand in the cave. Some people were trying to talk me into killing you, but I spared you. I will not lay my hand on my Lord. Again, there's these words, my Lord, my King, the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you're hunting me down to take my life, which is just code for like, hey, I'm the good guy. You're the bad guy. You're trying to kill me and I didn't do nothing. I could have killed you, but I didn't. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. And as the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hands will not touch you. Isn't that a cool story? 
Like God goes in to use the bathroom and everything unravels and everything unfolds and Saul comes out and David comes out with this big, huge speech. Because what David understood is what most of us don't understand. Is that just because everything is aligned just perfectly, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what God wants you to do. And what David did was, is he had incredible wisdom and he sat back and he began to weigh his opportunity against three things. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. David weighed his opportunity against the law of God, the principles of God, and the wisdom of God. There's like one little mini amen over here. Because, uh, you know... Nobody gets excited about the law of God. You know, the law of God, amen. You know, we all love that. David has this incredible opportunity. It seems that destiny has shaped and formed and created this incredible opportunity. But the first thing he did was, is he begins to think, no, no, no. You've got to remember Saul is the king. And here's this, there's these pesky little laws, you know, in the Old Testament. Like these little laws like, thou shalt not murder. You know what I mean? Like that applies. Like, Right? That applies here. And so like not murdering people is the law of God. And and maybe even especially not murdering the king. And so like remember this. When you think about the opportunities that God gives you or you think about the temptations that are before you, you always want to weigh those against the law of God. And here's why. Is that God is never going to set you up for law breaking. I just want you to know that. Like God never entices you to go break his laws. God never motivates you, encourages you and presents this opportunity and then says yes for you to go break his laws. And so whenever you're trying to discover, God, what do you want me to do? What is your will in this situation? If, if what you're wanting to do begins to break the laws of God, you just know. And David knew that. Like, Because here's the problem. The hardest thing to walk away from is when opportunity lines up with your prayers and your passion. Right? You've been praying for it. You've been believing for it. You're so excited. I can't wait to get my hands on this. It's in my heart. I want it so bad. And then all of a sudden when opportunity lines up with your prayers and your passions, it is almost impossible to walk away from that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? How do you walk away from that? This is what I've been praying for. This is what I've been waiting for. And God, you promised it. But that's not the way he promised it. God never said one day, I'm going to have you assassinate the king. And you'll be the guy. Now he, so you got to remember, he waited against the law of God. Number two is this, is the principles of God. Like David waited against this thought. Because remember, not only did he refer to him as the king and my master, he also referred to him as the one who is the Lord's anointed. And this is the principle that he's playing on. Is you don't go and replace what God has put in place. That's the principle. Like you don't go and replace what God has put in place. And I've tried to teach this in the past. There's all these principles throughout Scripture. Like, I mean, when it comes to your relationships or your dating or your finances, there are all these principles laced throughout all of Scripture. Like, some of them are not laws like thou shalt not and you shouldn't absolutely never, ever, ever. But like, you know, like, for example, like in in your finances, there's a biblical principle that says although you have a square, you should live in a circle. It's the principle of margin. Meaning like if you got a square, you don't try to use the whole square, right? You use a circle. So you got some what? Margin, you got leftovers so you can feed the poor and help the afflicted and have a, have a leftover. Does that make sense? So like, it's just a principle. It's the principle of margin. If, if you're living a life where you constantly spend everything you have and then borrow from other people, Visa, MasterCard, or your grandma, either way, that is out of bounds living. Are you, are you hearing me right now? And so this is the principles of God. And this principle is just simply like, hey, what God has put in place, I'm not going to go replace. And this is why he says, I will not avenge myself. God, you'll avenge me. Meaning, God, if you want to remove Saul as king, I'll let you do that. Because you put him in place, I'll let you remove him because that's your job, 
That's not my job. And then the third one is this. It's not only the law of God and the principles of God. This one to me, I'm going to imply this one. I think it was just wisdom to not kill the king. And here's why. And I think, I think you'll agree with me. Um, throughout history, what happens to kings who become king because they assassinated the former king? Yeah, 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 yeah. It sets you up, right? This is, in essence, what David says at the very last line that we read today, which is this. From evil doers comes evil. Like, so, but I don't want to be evil. So I'm not going to do evil. So like, because I don't want to reap evil. It's the principle of sowing and reaping even. Like, I'm not going to sow this because I don't want one day my people to be like, well, we're tired of him. What do we do to kings that we're tired of? We kill him, right? Not to mention that there's even like a legacy thing in play here. Like, do you really not even like want to be like looking over your back all the time? Like that's part of it. But the other part of it would be this. Like, do you really want that to be your story? Like you want to be sitting around with your grandchildren one day and your grandchildren come up to you. Papa, you know, tell us the story of how you became king. Well, kiddo, let me tell you, it was a, it was an amazing story. There I was in the cave and Saul came in to go poo and I snuck up behind him. And I just, like, that's your story. I don't want that to be my story, right? What a lame story. That's just not the coolest story. I don't want that to be my story. So I don't want this. It's just the wisdom of God to say, you know what? I don't want to kill the sitting king to become the king because I don't want to one day be the sitting king that gets killed just because somebody else wants to be the king. Are you with me so far? And when you look at all the temptation or all the opportunities, because sometimes they will look like divine opportunities. Sometimes you'll get that job opening. Sometimes you'll get that relationship door open. Sometimes something will just present itself and it just seems like pure gold. But that doesn't mean necessarily that it's an invitation from God. It could just be a test. And what your job to do as a servant of God who says, God, you are the king and I'm a humble servant. I'm just happy to be in your kingdom and I want your way and not my way. I want your will and not my will. With that mentality, you've got to go back and weigh every opportunity against the law of God, the principles of God and the wisdom of God. And when you do so, I think incredible things open up for you. I have this story in my life that I, I think back on when I think about this story. I, I luckily did the right thing. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to take too much credit because you think, I don't know how much God did that in me or I just got lucky and I don't know. When I was in Michigan as a youth pastor, it was my first kind of full-time job as a youth pastor. I'd come out of Bible college, uh, went to this church. I started out as an intern and then moved my way up the ranks. And I'm finally the youth pastor now and things are incredible. I don't remember. There's probably two or 300 kids in the youth group and it was just, everything was really, really good. It was a cool, cool deal. But the pastor didn't like me, right? And there was a rift between the elder board and me. And, and, and I'll tell you why. It's because I used to work for the son-in-law of the pastor. And then when the son-in-law is not the pastor anymore, you know, there's a lot of leniency when you're the son-in-law because you're trying to keep your daughter around. But I'm not the son-in-law, so I don't really care about you. You know, that, it was just kind of like that. And, and so anyway, he had come to me and, and, and said, hey, I think, I think we need to go our separate ways. And I said, I agree. I, I don't think it's a good fit. Let, let's move on. And, and, and so... But, but a couple weeks later, we had this big incident. A kid in our, our, our youth group died in a car accident. And um, Now, this pastor had never like come to youth group, never seen me speak before, had never been a part of anything that we had ever done. And so um, that night, he's supposed to come and see this new youth pastor speak. And uh, you know, because the kid died this week, I thought, there's no way that I can have you come in, and I need to pastor these kids. And so I get up, and I start just helping these kids navigate through this incredibly difficult time where, you know, a kid in the youth group had died in a car accident. And, and I don't know how many kids came to Christ that night. It was really, really emotional, and it was, it was crazy. It was really a unique experience. But that was the only time he'd ever showed up to be a part of anything that we'd ever done. And, and afterwards, he comes to me and goes, hey, we, we need to talk. 
And I'm like, uh, okay. I don't know what that meant. I'm like 21 or something. I don't have intuition yet. So, so the next week he calls me in his office. He goes, hey, man, I just want you to really know I think I've made a mistake and I, I want you to stay on board. But see, I knew I was supposed to go. Like I knew it was over. I knew I was supposed to go. It wasn't a good, I just knew I was supposed to go. And he tried to plead with me. Hey, would you please stay? I said, I just don't think it's a good fit. Well, here, look here, you just do this. And he'd come back to me like for the next couple weeks afterwards. Like I really, really want you to stay, but I just knew I was supposed to go. And so I'm torn. And, and in my heart, this is what's going on. I know I'm supposed to go. I know it's not a good fit. And I know that if I say yes to him and, and, and keep on board with this job, it will only be to get, get a paycheck until I find another opportunity. And because of that, in my heart, I felt like there's something duplicitous about that. Like I, that, that lacks integrity. For you, to, for you to know you're trying to hit the door, but you take a paycheck from a church, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. So I was like, no, I just can't. And so my wife and I were, we were fairly newly wed. We, we didn't have any kids yet. We literally moved back to South Carolina. And I, I lived with my parents for a couple of months while I went and traveled to churches, interviewed, and, and was looking for other jobs. But it was one of those moments in my life where I had every reason to say, but hey, that's, that's a paycheck, that's money, that's how I'm going to provide, and God, you know, you said you'd provide, and I got a paycheck coming, and, and I had total uncertainty, I had total, like, no guarantee of anything, I just believed that I was supposed to go. And I'm telling you what, I interviewed with several churches, every church opportunity opened up to me, and I, I just didn't think that was not that, and then all of a sudden, the most incredible opportunity in San Jose opens up for me. And it is just the coolest thing in the world, and I step right into it. And, and that's what even leads me to, to, you know, all these cool events in my life, even to this point where I stand here before you today. And I'm telling you, I don't, I don't know. I wonder. I don't know if that opportunity opens up if I continue to do what I've been doing in Michigan. Does that make sense? Because part of trusting God is this. Many times we are so tempted because of the desire for more, the desire for success, the desire for progress, the desire for even what God has promised, and it just throws us off. And the problem with falling into temptation, the problem with doing it your way and not God's way is this. Sometimes it's not always disastrous. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not always disastrous, but on the other side of that, here's the problem. You'll never know what God might have done if you'd adjust Trust. Maybe it's not even that bad, but you'll never know how great it could have been if you would have just trusted God. Are you, are you hearing me today? Listen to this. Take this down if you're taking notes. The most direct route to where you want to be in life is rarely the best route. The direct route to where you want to be in life is rarely the best route. It doesn't always line up. And so you've got to take every opportunity and every temptation and then begin to weigh it against the law of God, the principles of God, and the wisdom of God. I'll prove this to you in, in, in Jesus' life. Jesus, when he is fresh after his baptism, before he really starts doing ministry work with people, he's taken into the desert, and the Bible says that the enemy is there to tempt him. And he's given three temptations. And the first one's kind of dumb. It's like, hey, you're hungry. You should turn that rock into some bread and eat that'd be good and then the second one is weird too he says um why don't you jump off that mountain because the bible says that angels will protect you and jesus of course says no to both of these temptations and both of them seem ridiculous on the surface there's something interesting underneath but it seemed ridiculous the third one is fascinating though the third and final temptation that the enemy gives to jesus is this the bible says that he shows him the whole world in a glance and says it'll all be yours you can have Everything You can have the entire redemption of earth and all of mankind in one moment if you'll just bow down and worship me. You see the temptation? It's the desire for more. It's the desire for progress. It's the desire for success. It's the desire for even what God has promised. And it's sitting there. But you'd have to do it in an ungodly way. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus rebukes him and says, get away from me. 
But my point is this, is that Jesus had an opportunity to avoid the cross. He didn't have to endure the pain and the suffering. He, he could have avoided it all, but to do so, he would have had to betray his father. Are you seeing what I'm showing you today? Is that I want you to have progress, and I want you to have success, and I want you to have happiness. Above all, I really just want you to have the promises of God in your life. That's what I really want. But if you pursuing those in an ungodly way is the how and the why and the reason for you getting there, I'm telling you, you'll get there and you won't like it. You'll get there and it'll be something less than what you actually hoped that it would be because you didn't get there God's way. That's why he said, I'll let you avenge me. I'll let you take care of me. I will trust you. And I'll tell you how the story ends. This is how the story ends. A short period of time later, Saul is back out on the battlefield against the Philistines. And, uh, you know, the army's not doing really good that day. And the Bible basically says that a lone archer shoots an arrow towards Saul and his little armor bearer group. And one of these arrows pierced through his armor and strikes him with a fatal wound. He actually later just like asks his armor bearer, would you just take me out? Because I don't want the Philistines to catch me. It's this story of how Saul dies. Even Jonathan, a part of that same battle later, dies. And when Saul dies, they turn to David. They say, now it's time. You are our king. He didn't have to get there his way. He was able to sit back and say, you know what, God, you're the king and I'm just a humble servant. And I'm just in this place trying to do your will, your way as best I can. And he was anointed the king of Israel. I want you to know this is that God will get you where he needs you to be in life. I promise if you will trust him. But when you try to do it your way with your method and you try to go around the ways of God, the wisdom of God, the principles of God or the law of God, I'm telling you, you're going to end up in a place but not like it. So here's the application we'll finish here. Number one is this, is whenever you, you have an opportunity, you need to weigh it against the law of God, the principles of God, and the wisdom of God. That's what we've been talking about all day. The most important thing that you can do, number two is this, is you need to make a decision to every day not to sacrifice your character for progress. Because God cares way more about who you are becoming than what you are doing. Are you hearing me today? If you're doing what God wants, but you lack his character, we've missed it. Does that make sense? cares way more about who you're becoming. And thirdly is this, is this is the best application possibly for some of you in this place, is you need to give trusted people an all-access pass to your life decisions. You need to find one or two people in your life that you know are wise, that you know are godly, that you know are, are, are objective and can stand outside and not get caught up in the emotion of it all. Are you hearing me? Because when your prayers and your passions line up with opportunity, you lose objectivity, don't you? You don't have any more. And that's why you need to bring people in, trusted people, smart people, and say, hey, I've got this killer opportunity. It just seems like everything has been aligned. And, but, but would you speak into this? Because I don't think I'm seeing clearly anymore. Because the greatest story is this, is that you get to be where God wants you to be. But you not only get there, you got there God's ways. That's the sweet spot of life. You trying to find happiness on your own terms is going to lead towards something negative, something sour, something you may even later regret and resent. I'm telling you, but when you pursue God's will and you also do it in God's ways, that's where blessing really is. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray, God, that, that we would let this story resonate, that this story would be played over in our head, that we would think about it, that this would be a story that stands out. This is the day that the king went to go use the bathroom and David could have had in an instant all that he ever dreamed, all that he ever hoped, all that he ever been thinking about, all that he ever desired. He had a moment where he could have had it all, but he would have had to break God's laws and wisdom and principles. God, help me to be that strong. Help me to have the heart of a servant. Help me to have the strength of character. 
to take every opportunity and not just dive right in, but God weigh it against your laws, your wisdom, your principles. God, help me to find your will and to find it your way, God. That is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?